Hi everyone, welcome to uh, an MACP podcast. My name is Matthew Lowe. I am um, the Knowledge Translation Officer, or as I'm trying to change it, to the Knowledge Mobilization and Transformation Officer. It sounds a little bit long-winded, but basically part of the direction of, I think that the MACP are taking is towards how knowledge uh, mobilizes between different communities. And what we're trying to do is to look and, and see how uh, knowledge is transformed between communities of practice. So I'm really pleased to have on the podcast episode here my my friend for over 20 years. Uh, we qualified together uh, at uh, University of Southampton in, in, in our undergraduate studies. Um, and it's it, Stuart Wildman, who is a consultant physiotherapist. Uh, I'll let him introduce himself in a second. Uh, before we do that, I just want to mention um, that there is an upcoming MSK conference on the 23rd and 24th of November, of which Stuart is uh, what, uh, leading one of the breakout sessions. Uh, it's going to be an opportunity for Stuart to um, uh, get some, uh, give people the yeah, give give people the opportunity really of getting hands on with some of this stuff that we're going to be talking about. So um, <clears throat> we might get round to having a conversation about that as well, but. Before we before we really get into uh, any of that, um, I'd just like to welcome Stuart and ask him to introduce himself for everyone. Thanks, Matt. Um, yeah, it's been 20 years, hasn't it? Gosh, time's, time flies and um, we've lost a fair bit of hair, although you've gained hair, I think, over that period of time. <laughs> um, but um, no, thanks very much for the invitation. And um, it's, um, it's always a real privilege to, um, I guess, be invited by peers to come and talk about these kind of topics. Um, my roots are, are very much firmly in physiotherapy, although they, I stretch out to lots of different professions now, which is really exciting. Um, it's always a real privilege and, and uh, an honour to be invited back, particularly to talk for the MACP on, on, on this topic. Um, so, yeah, I'm Stu. So I work as an AEPP in London uh, at the Homerton NHS Trust, which I've done for many, many years uh, in a, an MSK community interface for a service. Um, and I also work as a consultant, musculoskeletal sonographer, uh, as well in Guildford uh, in Surrey uh, and I've done that for uh, a few years now as well so I have a, a bit of a hybrid existence I also uh, teach as an honorary lecturer at Bruno University uh, and we run a number of um, courses through the ultrasound site all around the topics of ultrasound particularly point of care um, ultrasound and guided injections and that kind of stuff uh, so I have quite a, a mixed existence but it's, it's very stimulating. Great, thanks, Stu. And apologies, I kind of homogenised your roles there. Um, so, right. I, yeah. we all have so, we all have plenty of titles. <laughs> so, I'm just going to get straight off the bat, really. So, could you tell the audience listening, really, your story and how you came across um, diagnostic ultrasound and and what kind of led you up to your current situation as it is now? Yeah. So. Um... I started to get into ultrasounds um, within physiotherapy, predominantly because of my, my colleagues. Um, I was very fortunate in that colleagues were, were using ultrasound um, in the service that I work in now. Uh, and I was a more junior member of staff. And so uh, it really sort of, uh, it came to me. I didn't go and seek it out. It really came to me, I guess, in terms of my clinical practice. Um, and I used to see this, this at that point, this, this huge machine that looked like a small tractor um in the corner of the room and, and people used to talk in a, in a language that made no sense to me whatsoever and look at a, a picture that looked like a lunar landscape and, and, and I had no idea and I thought well, I'm not sure I'm never going to be able to get a hold of this or, or get involved in this um and 
it just sort of went from there, I guess, and it became a natural kind of progression. And there was a bit of a, as you, you know, as we've talked about recently, uh, there was a community of practice that was born essentially in East London, very much so. Um, my more senior colleagues at that time really sort of trailblazed the route around it. We had a number of very passionately, very driven individuals who were very committed to learning and development. And don't forget at that point within physiotherapy, there were other people who are who, who, who had already started the ball rolling very much so. Um, John Leddy, Mark Mabry, to name a few. Um, but these guys had, had, had taken it on locally to where I was working and really started to drive the agenda with it, um, which was for me as, a, as an upcoming, I guess, MSK clinician was very exciting. It was extremely stimulating. Uh, I recently completed my MSc at the Uni of Hearts, the MACP uh, MSc, um, and, and it was a new thing on, on, on my radar that looked interesting and stimulating. But at that point, I wasn't totally... I guess I wasn't totally convinced as to how it would impact my practice. I, I you know I, I looked at this thing. I thought, oh, this is just, you know, I don't, I don't see what, what I'm going to get out of this. And, and I also found that when I did sort of dabble with it, it was a very challenging skill. And it wasn't something that I could just pick up and put down and learn very quickly. Um, it was clearly going to take some effort to, to get going with. But out of that sort of community of practice, I guess, a lot of things have sort of spawned um, in terms of programs and courses and education, which we'll touch on later. Um, but that's how I initially got into it. Uh, and then I went on and did my formal training at the University of um, Canterbury Christchurch University, sorry, down in Kent, and completed my PG certs and, and, and started to really try and start to explore, I guess, what it could offer in practice. But one of the, one of the big things for me to start with was that it, it just felt like a totally different domain for a physiotherapist to be entering into. This was a, a traditional uh, imaging diagnostic domain that physiotherapists were now starting to utilise in point of care. And even the educational structure around it was very much structured around um, more of a radiology focused curriculum and education. And I became particularly stimulated and interested because I could see the relevance of it when it blended with my clinical reasoning. Um, and it became a really interesting thing to see how I could integrate into practice appropriately um, at that point and, and make it relevant to clinical practice. And I felt that there was a disc, there was a bit of a disconnect there in terms of what was being offered from an educational perspective, what's on social media, which was and in its infancy at that point. I think actually you, you probably invited me to social media at that point. And you said, you said come Stu, get your act together. You need to get on Twitter. Um, <coughs> and and it went from there. And then the ultrasound site, this website, I just sort of started up at one lunchtime, essentially, because I felt that, that was there, there was a need for somebody to challenge um, the traditional imaging sort of use of this modality. It was dynamic. It could be used in a number of different ways. It wasn't a static image like MR or X-ray. It could be brought into clinic. It could be used to correlate with the patient's pain in terms of palpation, in terms of dynamic evaluation. But there was nothing out there to show its use in that, in that way. And so a lot of my initial sort of driver enthusiasm was around trying to make this um, more relevant to point of care use which wasn't termed at that point but but to clinical use essentially and so when it went from there really and, and started putting out case studies on social media and, and 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 my enthusiasm built people engaged with it um which i didn't expect and and people had a real interest in it um and it's kind of snowballed i guess from there really Hmm. I get the sense, though, it's not intuitive, as you say, it's, it's, it's quite, it is very challenging um, to pick up 
everything from, I guess, the kind of background science around it, the physics to, yep. you know, recognizing structures and the artifacts. And you mentioned something around the traditional use. So can you describe what you mean by the traditional use of ultrasound? Yeah. And what so, you were moving towards something different? Yeah. I and mean, I guess, I guess ultrasound, at the, at the crux of it, the ultrasound is an imaging modality. Yeah. An, an X-ray is an imaging modality. MRI is an imaging modality. But X-ray and MRI are delivered separate to that clinical context. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And ultrasound often is as well. And traditionally, still the largest number of ultrasound investigations that take place in the UK are still delivered in diagnostic radiology centres. They're not delivered in point of care environments. But ultrasound technology is, is, is such that it's, um, you know, the technology is rapidly advanced. The resolution of it is equivalent to, to MR for a lot of superficial structures, tendons, joint recesses, all of these different things. But it, it's mobile, so it can come into these other domains. And so, and so by that, I mean, you know, so that's what I mean, I think, by it being a traditionally an imaging modality. But you, I mean, you also touched on the, some really good points there, Matt, about, you know, it's a difficult skill. You've got to have the knowledge, the hard taught knowledge of physics, which, you know, for, for, for a lot of people, it's not the easiest thought, and, and at times not the most exciting content to get your teeth into. But probably the biggest thing is, is it really stretches your anatomical blueprint that's in your head. So I think when I came into ultrasound, I was very, um, you know, I, I felt like I was a pretty confident clinician. But I think within physiotherapy, we tend to see similar clinical presentations. We tend to have boxes for regions that we are familiar with the anatomy um, and the clinical presentations. And when you start to use ultrasound, you've got to understand all of the anatomy because of the relevance of it adjacent to each other, et cetera, et cetera. And it just starts to really open your mind as to the other clinical manifestations that can, can, can occur in certain regions as well. As a result how, did you, of that. how did you get this off the ground? I, I mean, if it wasn't for that community of practice that you were situated yeah. with, I can't imagine ne being next to an ultrasound machine, having training, obviously, but then being able to develop the skills in such a way as you have yeah. without having that you know group of people around you you know it's, it's, it's extremely difficult difficult and and it's still something that um is a huge barrier to the majority of people i was extremely fortunate um to be to land in a location with the individuals that, that were there at that time that we we're all similarly driven and like-minded and 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 the agenda kind of pushed forwards but also i had the opportunity then to you know I, i'd have a machine one afternoon in clinic I had the very easy opportunity to pop across the corridor and discuss with somebody or come and have a look at this or come and have a look at that. Um, you know, we, we, we pick up foreign bodies and stuff in, in people that was part of their clinical presentation that I would never have even possibly have considered. And I sort of think, what's this? You know, and then we'd all be looking in books and it became a 24-7 thing. It still pretty much is now um, of, of learning and stretching your knowledge. Um, but it's not just, you know, we touched on it earlier, it's not just about reading a textbook and understanding what something looks like pathologically mm. um the, the 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 art of it is is really the integration of it into that reasoning how you communicate how you handle findings all of those different aspects to it um which make it challenging but also very interesting mm. uh, at the same time yeah so so 
you you described earlier this kind of traditional uh, version of imaging which kind of gives you this static and disconnected image so say for example a patient has some kind of shoulder pain a primary care clinician refers them to an ultrasonographer who doesn't necessarily know that patient's history quite so well as perhaps the primary care clinician would have picked up has done a standard set of views perhaps and then just reports on those set of views let's call that a traditional way of doing msk ultrasound yep. um what would you say a contemporary use of um i'm going to call it diagnostic ultrasound um, only to separate it from therapeutic ultrasound. I've already, I've already, I've already told you specifically this evening <laughs> not to do that. <laughs> so that's that's probably something that we, you know, we open up. But you know, yeah, no, um, you'll talk about that later. You know, this kind of point of care stuff. You know, what would you say then uh, is contemporary practice this integration that you're describing? Well, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to see it come into the hands of the clinician that's for, and that's for that partly for that that's for that's for a number of different reasons i think and you know we all face these situations and we, we all talk about these situations where an over-reliance on imaging in isolation can lead to a cascade of management that isn't necessarily related to the patient that's actually sitting in front of you you know that happens with x-ray it happens with mr um it happens with everything and one of the big things that I learned, I think, from using ultrasound was that I probably was pretty naive about the role of different imaging modalities prior to that point. I often saw a report of, say, MR or X-ray or even ultrasound as absolute. Um, and I think as I started to use ultrasound, um, it gave me a way of, of evaluating structural appearances, but also at the same time, challenging other imaging modalities and the conclusions that have been drawn from it. Yeah. Um, so so can, you, it, can you give an example? Uh, I, mean, I mean, a classic example is, you know, bursitis around the shoulder, for example, yeah, massively reported in MR, um, as if it's a distinct pathological presentation or clinical sort of um, presentation in its own right. But the reality is, 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 is people are actually not totally clear cut on what bursitis is, in my opinion. Yeah. And, and, and you start to appreciate that on ultrasound. So in other words, if you have 10 MRs that come back and they all say bursitis and they've been referred in for an injection, you scan them, you sort of think, well, okay, well, they all look fairly similar here. You know, and then you set scan a normal and it looks fairly similar. It starts to make you question imaging and question the relevance of it to clinical presentations and and, and how terminology is used and the cascade cascade of events that come off the back of it you know often it can be more interventional injection or whatever yeah um so i think going back to your original question about where when where do i see it going um i think it's all about trying to ensure that imaging is placed in the clinical context okay now whether that's through greater multidisciplinary team working and closer um, closer working and coming away from those concepts of, of, of silos of practice you know imaging's over here orthopedics is here there's community msk over here greater collaboration greater discussion and evaluation of patients clinical presentation imaging alongside it i think is is, is very positive in the future and i think it would arguably it, it would reduce waste in systems uh, i think quite significantly I think as physiotherapists um, who you know we're trying to 
set our standards really high in terms of MSK management, in terms of our autonomy, I think we're in a really unique place where we can actually start to use something like ultrasound quite innovatively and quite dynamically to try and change that aspect of things. Um, you know, so as you say, you know, a shoulder pain patient comes in or a patient with a more diffuse region of pain that clinically is, is just quite difficult to unpick and to differentiate. Mm. The ability to, to, to perform uh, a quick, you know, high-resolution ultrasound of a foot or of a hand to try and glean a bit more clinical information that you either use or don't use as part of your clinical reasoning process, I think can be quite powerful sometimes to advance a patient's care. And it also you know, fits with getting it right first time, doesn't it? But it also, uh, it also facilitates that, or, or that patient's pathway. It means they're not going off to somewhere else to come back. They're not going over there to come back. You know, I've got a difficult patient. I'm not quite sure they're going. It's difficult to differentiate it. Maybe I need some imaging here. I'm going to refer them off to there. I'm going to refer them back again. You know, long waits, patient delays. And again, the risk of imaging separate to the clinical context. Yeah. So it's about trying to change all of those different things at once, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and, and it makes even more sense at the moment where there are these increased weights. Um, yeah. I guess yeah. that kind of that kind of throws up these these different tensions in my mind because as you say there are these findings that you have to you know what makes significant what makes a finding significant so so the reason why i say that is is that you've got say for example some um some change in the in the tissue that you can see structurally there might be some um hypoechoic region and you have to kind of make nice use of terminology good work there good homework (laughs) But let's say you've seen some of these changes and then you'll start starting to say, OK, well, OK, well, at what, at what stage can I say that that's clinically relevant? How is that going to change the pathway? So if you've got somebody, say, with uh, rotator cuff related shoulder pain, um, would you uh, at what point would uh, uh, some increased fluid in the subacromial bursa or some changes in the tendon change your management and how, you know? Can you yeah, some, I know. Because that's, that's a, quite a challenging area, isn't it? And I think, yeah, particularly yeah. in the context of a an orthopedic pathway now, where I think there is an increased and for good reason reluctance uh, to do orthopedic surgery with those patients. Yeah, yeah. H- how does it materially change the pathway? And I know that's a bit of an unfair question, but I just wanted to kind of talk about those te- <laughs> that, that, that kind of nuance of clinical reasoning. Yeah, I think the I think the crux of it is what you're getting at there is 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 we're aware aren't we increasingly that structural change is present in asymptomatics yeah now that that is certainly prevalent and true with say the genitive rotator cuff tears in aging populations we see it and probably most evident and most sort of uh, talked about is, is spinal changes you know lumbar lumbar mri and and how we see structural change on those sort of aspects and things as well and ultimately, you know, we, we see the same with ultrasound. Yeah. And, and it's about how you, how you handle those structural appearances in terms of their relevance, to the patient's presentation, and don't oversimplify your clinical reasoning to base your decision-making solely on, on those. Now, it's a difficult question to answer because I don't think, I don't think you, can, you can ever just say, right, for all shoulders, it's like this, or for all shoulders, it's like that. I think probably what we are starting to see is that ultrasound's ability to influence patient management is probably uh, better in some areas than others personally that's my own anecdotal experience 
So things like rotator cuff, you know, related shoulder pain or tendinopathy, for want of a better phrase. Um, I think ultrasound's good if there's a history of, say, trauma or suspicion of a cuff tear to rule out something more significant. But I don't think it necessarily is used to confirm or to, 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 to sort of prove that there's rotator cuff related shoulder pain or tendinopathy in that example. Yeah. Having said that, you might have a clinical scenario where a patient has gone round the houses, they haven't responded to intervention and treatment, and the ability for you to communicate, to evaluate potentially sonographically and to clinically assess at the same time to say to a patient, look, actually, this is what we can see on the ultrasound. This is your, you know, this is your tendon, and to actually to, to, to try and make it relevant right. to, to normalize those findings and communicate that. Communication is key here. Um, can be very powerful for helping a patient engage and to take them on a different pathway. So it's it's always patient specific, isn't it? It's always difficult to make a a, a really sort of a broad statement about it. I think, but um, I think a lot of it comes down to um, communication, but also acknowledgement that you know it, it, not every time you put an ultrasound on probe on somebody does it dramatically change their management, and take them in a different direction. But at the same time. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily a, an unhelpful modality for us to have at our hands to advance yeah. practice. That's my, my opinion. Absolutely. Well, I kind of get this sense as well that it really tightens up your differential diagnosis. So you've got somebody who's got a range of uh, maybe, um, I would say, overlapping symptoms yeah. and overlapping and very uh, contrasting picture clinically. And so what you have access to is the opportunity to, shed further light on your differential diagnosis and potentially yeah. tighten it up which could change management it may not but it but it certainly could far more than perhaps a situation that i might encounter yeah no absolutely and um you know it can be that you're using ultrasound to confirm your clinical suspicion for something that's relatively straightforward yeah uh, and um you know it may be that it doesn't necessarily change what you think specifically in that moment it just confirms your clinical diagnosis and maybe there's a lot of other patient factors that are sort of mudging the water perhaps a little bit as well and you can use it as you say to to, to to really sort of firm up things it also potentially can throw up stuff that you don't necessarily expect um and i think you know one of the big things is, is things around like occult fractures for example you know you, you see patients that have a, a history of trauma perhaps or an incident they have an x-ray that's normal but ultrasound is a fantastic modality for picking up occult fractures and just subtle cortical changes and that's something that you know completely changes somebody's management you know in terms of their expectations but also you know medically legally you know you're dealing with a bony injury as opposed to something else that perhaps you think on from your clinical examination i think one of the other key things i probably learned was our, you know our clinical tests are pretty good um but also they don't show they don't tell us everything they don't show us everything Mm. and so have you, have you ever picked up anything really left field yeah um, yeah um, and, and potentially worrying i mean and what yeah, what yeah. did you what do you do about that yeah so um i mean clearly my skill set now because i'm working in radiology setting has become more broader as my well doesn't that make sense does it makes sense on a friday night probably at this time but doesn't normally it's become it's become it's become broader my skill set around ultrasound i guess and my appreciation of um musculoskeletal pathology or just pathology that can masquerade as as something that we perhaps more commonly experience within physiotherapy settings and 
Um, I always remember I had one uh, patient, I always remember it on a Friday morning um, and um, they were referred with low back and unilateral leg pain. So very much your kind of bread and butter stuff, um, not responding, being there for a long, long time, um, was persisting, not getting better, had elements of weakness, um, objectively and subjectively, uh, of his calf, of S1, um, and had been referred in essentially for, you know, workup for a non-responding lumbar radiculopathy, for, for, for want of a better phrase. And um, it just didn't quite fit clinically when I saw him. So his pain distribution was more um, situated around um, the sort of posterior, posterior, posterior thigh, which again is not unusual, granted, but it was quite focused there. And it was particularly bad at nighttime, which again is not unusual for, for neurogenic leg pain. Um, and then it just didn't quite fit. So there wasn't a huge amount of lumbar pain. Not, there isn't always, as we know, uh, but lumbar range was pretty good. It wasn't massively provocative from, from, from memory, stretching myself here. I think neurodynamics or test and SLR, slump and stuff like that was, was reasonable. And for whatever reason, I, I just felt like there was something that wasn't quite right. And so I just took my ultrasound probe and scanned his hamstrings, which is not something I would ever normally do for somebody with low back pain and ridiculous leg pain. Um, it's usually turned off in the corner. Um, so I just thought oh, I'll have a quick look through his hamstrings and I came across a mass around his um, sciatic nerve, which obviously is something that I was fairly comfortable with identifying from my radiology skills, but at the same time was something that was quite obviously quite concerning. It wasn't something that you would normally routinely come across, um, but it was located you know, very closely, if not within, um, his sciatic nerve which fitted with his symptoms and the location of where he was getting his pain um, so he went on to have further investigations and things and had a schwannoma of his um, sciatic nerve and ended up having it surgically removed um, and made a very good recovery actually as well oh, um, but it was one of those situations where um, having the, I guess it's I guess what the relevance of it is it gives you the ability to get a bit more information sometimes mm. from a structural perspective. And I know we talk about structure sometimes maybe in a, not necessarily in a negative sense, but in a critical sense, quite rightly, because of what we've just talked about in terms of asymptomatic findings. But at the same time, I'm very much a believer of there's always a role for getting a bit more information. And ultrasound in clinic in the right hands with the right experience level can give you that opportunity to do that. Um, and in that situation, it certainly, um, was really useful because I think if, if I hadn't the other the other the question is is one of my colleagues said well you know what what would have happened if you hadn't had that in there I probably would have sent him for a lumbar MRI yeah because he's got Absolutely. persisting leg pain and he had he had a bit of neurological deficit and that probably probably would have come back normal well or or we may have had a unilateral disc yeah, yeah, slightly yeah. touching on the nerve root. yeah and he would have had he could have had surgery and it would have made a difference yeah, know, what, you know, whatever. that may not have helped or it may have helped a little bit you yeah know, yeah who knows it must have been i mean we won't have time to cover that but that's a really interesting point you know but there's no physical sign there's no physical signs of it so often you're often with these lumps and bumps you know some of the ones i, I do sadly encounter are very obvious clinically yeah but some of them aren't and that's why I always stress to people who were teaching about ultrasound and why we did this webinar recently on lumps and bumps is at some point you will come across the unexpected. 
And so that's why I'm a big believer of governance and clinical governance and pathways around this stuff, because at some point you'll come across something that you don't expect to. It's good that you, and it's, it's the best thing is you know what you can do with something before it actually happens. Um, so I think that's yeah. a really important point that you've brought up, governance, because you have been a strong advocate for that and developed and facilitated the development of a number of stringent kind of governance uh, uh, things. Yeah. Would you mind telling the audience about your involvement with case and stuff like that yeah absolutely so um yeah i mean we'll talk about sort of educational frameworks and stuff later but um so case is an organization that basically oversees i have to get this right it's a bit of a tongue twister the consortium of accredited sonographic education i should know that much better but i think that's it um but case is a is a essentially is an organizational committee that is predominantly manned by volunteers who drive educational standards around ultrasound practice in the UK, pre predominantly within higher education institutions, not just MSK, um, you know, abdominal, gynae, uh, vascular, all of these different aspects. Okay, and they have a number of different member organisations that form that committee. Um, and I'm delighted that the CSP became a member organisation of CASE, along with the charts, with along with the Royal College of Podiatry. Probably now, lost track of time. I think as we all have probably four years ago, five years ago, something like that. And there's a couple of us who now sit on the committee for the CSP at CASE. And that's the first time that we've had an MSK representative on that committee. So it's really, really valuable from an ultrasound and from a sonography point of view. Um, but it gave me a really good appreciation, I think, of standards of practice within radiology. And it became very apparent very quickly that if, if physiotherapists are going to start using ultrasound, then they need to be setting their bar at the same level, essentially. As, uh, sorry? Sorry, setting the bar same as? Well, in, 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 as, uh, uh, same at the same level from a governance perspective um, as, as radiology settings. Um, you know, so okay. that's something I've always been really hot on and, and pushing is things like what we just said, you know, how would you deal with an unexpected finding, uh, infection control, image storage is an ongoing headache, but, you know, things like that are all really, really important alongside the actual ability of a clinician to perform scans in a very competent manner to report that appropriately uh, and how that's you know, integrated then into the, into the clinical context. You know, it's, we, we write our reports within our clinical letters um you know so it's, it's 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 all in there embedded into it so all of that stuff is really really important it's something that certainly we we push really hard within the educational programs at, at brunel with the ultrasound site around governance and the importance of that um it's a drier topic and people often want to just do more stuff around the clinical mm. but it's about patient safety often the governance and i think that's that's absolutely. a key pillar of what we should be looking at doing absolutely thank you and would you would you mind if I ask you the question around there's there's a topic I would say that's quite uh, common you see this in in many different kind of domains and that's around the topic of low value so low value treatment low value care low value and I'm sure this happens in MSK ultrasound can you give some examples of what low value is what is low value from your perspective when it comes to um, the use of so by low value, you mean it's not offering anything extra. Right. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 So I think, I think low value practice in this ultrasound is when, it's, is when it's used in a very simplistic sense. 
yeah so when when you're looking at something um you know you 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 you're, the clinical reason model isn't packaged around it and you're looking at something purely in isolation yeah without even a patient narrative that's that for me that's 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 lower value in terms of the patient's journey does yeah? that happen do 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 msk ultrasonographers or people who do that or request it don't even speak to their patients <laughs> um um you know, I, you know, I, I think, I think, I think we all have experiences across across uh, MSK services and the variability of MSK services, where patient journeys maybe could have gone in different directions at earlier stages. Um, if patient journeys have been listened to and, and patient um, features have been looked at more closely, um, but again, that's I think that's probably a, a broader issue, isn't it, around how MSK care can be advanced and. Right. You know, it's exciting to see those sort of best MSK stuff coming out that's, that's hopefully trying to do that. But I, I, I think it's about, I think it links back to what we said earlier, actually probably about trying to reduce this kind of silo working, multidisciplinary working. You know, one of the one of the huge positives, again, of, of, of my experience of, of using ultrasound and, and exploring this topic is I've grown to, to understand and to communicate and meet so many other different professionals who are MSK stakeholders whether that be, you know, I've taught radiologists, orthopedic surgeons, rheumatologists, um, you know, sonographers, radiographers, podiatrists, all of these people have the ability to say the same type of patient. Um, and um, it's about, I think, you know, importantly, trying to, an ultrasound can do this, ultrasound can almost enable you to have this common ground to enable an open dialogue around some of these topics which i think is really helpful and different professions think about it in different ways when we do some of the courses we have you know guys from different all sorts of different professional backgrounds some of the discussions are really really interesting and and challenges people's um, professional approaches to certain things and it's different you know we approach things as physiotherapists in one way but another profession will approach it in a different way mm. um so it, it, it uh, ultrasound again is a really interesting modality that sort of blends across that across disciplines across yeah. the professional disciplines yeah yeah um so uh, you know you've clearly got a huge amount of experience what do you feel are the challenges in in starting this process maintaining and developing it within your practice because for an individual yeah yeah so it's, let's say let's say an audience member out there is, is yeah. interested and feels that this is something that they'd want to explore or get started. How, how do they go about it? How do you go about it? It's, it's difficult and there's a number of different barriers to it. But I think my first message is that it's getting easier. And because the community of practice is growing. So, it's, you know, the numbers of people using this now in physiotherapy is much, much more significant than it was 10 years ago um or whatever um and also i think the opportunity for physiotherapists to use this now um is growing as well so other professions are becoming perhaps more accepting um, of our appropriate and high standard use of something like this um and so you know the, the growth of pocus or point of care ultrasound imaging um is increasing i would say because i think over time other professions are happy for us to start to take this on so i guess the first thing to say is is that people who want to start doing it you know next year or whatever are in a better place than we were 10 years ago mm. and my situation 10 years ago wasn't reflective of the majority it was very very unique 
Um, but it's difficult and particularly if you're in isolated practice or in isolated areas. And so I would say that if you're working in an MSK service where you don't have anybody else doing it, is to try and build, and again, maybe this is where the MACP, um, and this is something I've been trying to do for a while, you know, we, is trying to build community practice across different, ge different geographical areas in the UK. Um, and you then start to develop a self-sustaining cycle of, of people who can mentor you know you obviously need the right individuals who are enthusiastic educators and that kind of stuff but it gives people the ability to seek support to have support and mentorship is a real barrier um, it's something that we've always found really difficult not to crack um, but it's becoming easier i think as more people are trained and more people are accessing things you've then got the challenge haven't you of 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 a bit of kit hmm. uh, as well yeah so you know we're not talking about um a notepad for a quid here that sits on a desk um we're talking about something that's that's you know depends what you want to get but it depends you know but it can be quite expensive bit of kit and so this is where i think now there needs to be a greater uh, movement about saying okay how is this actually impacting clinical practice and how is it impacting patient pathways and it has the potential to deliver a I think, uh, although the machines are quite expensive, it has the, the, the potential to deliver quite significant cost savings in terms of reducing referrals to secondary care, um, reducing duplication of investigations, potentially as well, and to help, you know, patient pathways, you know, reduces the need for, for, for MR imaging, you know, those patients are more difficult, you know, as we touched on earlier, there's a lot of savings that can come from point of care imaging, but we now need a, a, a group of, of people um to, to to take that on i think and to try and progress this within the profession of physiotherapy and to show the worth that it hopefully can you know can deliver an advanced practice um i think it's, it's, it's about coming away from you know individual sort of case study scenarios and saying okay what's the bigger picture in here and how does it impact things i'm going off topic again aren't i but but so in terms of people who want to get going you know obviously the csp Focus document that came out recently, which I was very privileged to be involved with, that was driven by Dr. Mike Smith over at Cardiff University, and, and, and huge kudos to Mike. I've worked with Mike through our case roles for a number of years, and he has driven the agenda silently uh, without being on social media for many, many years, blood, sweat, and tears, I can certainly say. Um, but he got there, and, and, and the engagement with the CSP has been really positive. And we now have something that we can actually refer to, which is incredibly valuable as a standard, um, which also includes things like around clinical governance as well. So if you look at there's the um, there's the two different publications, and within that it, it it gives guidance to to clinicians about educational standards of what you should be looking to try and do. And I think increasingly probably within physiotherapy, um, as with a lot of our extended scope skills, such as you know prescribing such as injection therapy um there is a movement towards competency-based training around this you know i run a number of weekend courses and introductory courses which are great and give people a taster as to what they can do and what they can explore with the topic but i think increasingly it's, it's towards more sort of competency-based training and by that i mean you know a university that's assessed and ideally that's, that's case accredited because it gives it that level of rigor and as somebody who's designed and gone through a case accreditation process it certainly um it certainly meets that rigor um so yeah i mean 
yeah, it's a challenge. It's difficult for people to get into it. Um, um, it sounds like you certainly need that rigor, but it does sound that, say, for example, at a uh, HEI, but it sounds like there needs to be ongoing support. <clears throat> it's not something that can be just carried on, I think, individually. Go on a, an HEI course, go through quite a rigorous process, come out, do it in practice, and there you go. Yeah, I mean, I think you, I think with all of these sorts of courses, the reality is, is that whenever you do any of these courses, you come out with a very basic level of competence, don't you? I mean, certainly, you know, when you when you do so like an injection therapy course and you come out, you've done 10 supervised injections, um, you're not you're not all singing and all dancing. You know how to put a needle into a certain place and tell you what dosage it is. But <clears throat> the softer skills about communicating and handling a patient's desire for an injection when they really don't need it and communicating that appropriately and assertively is, is a different skill. And it's the same with ultrasound you know we're delivering a core competency level that enables somebody to practice safely i think mm. but there's an ongoing cpd need and um you know that's why you know the macp dot the macp the csp document refers to, to ongoing cpd mm. around ultrasound as, as, as being something that's important you know you need to constantly be reflecting on your skills getting feedback on what you're doing mm. and again without going to governance again things like audit are really important you know having having a way of of auditing your practice and your standards of what you're doing um, is also very important, I think. Well, absolutely. And, and I'm surprised you haven't talked about um, ultrasound guided injections because I would have thought that would have been a topic. But yeah, so, I mean, yeah, that's I mean, I'm, you do, you take, almost take it for granted now, really. It's just, yeah, I mean, I do, I do, obviously, I do do um, a lot of guided injections every week. Um, I wouldn't say my, my, personally i wouldn't say my my big buzz and enjoyment is out of guys injections it's more out of what we talked about previously mm. that's where i get a buzz and enjoyment yeah and and i get a sense that uh you uh, there, there are cases where people come in maybe patients have been set up for this with the expectation of having a guided uh, a guided injection and actually you've had to have a difficult conversation mm. perhaps with them um how, how, very often without without actually yeah i was gonna say i mean obviously we can't go into <coughs> details but you know how, how do you navigate that i mean obviously you've got quite a lot of experience H how do you go around kind of resetting that situation to the patient so let's say you yeah re recall a particular case we don't have to go into any detail but i mean how do you massage that situation to uh, basically effectively say there's, I mean, do you say to them, um, is there's a greater risk if I do this injection than not? I mean, what kind of explanations do you give? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, I guess the first thing is, is I work in two environments, which um, I work in one environment where, which is physiotherapy, where these situations occur but there's probably less of an intense pressure around delivering it. And I probably can easily divert to other treatment techniques that are more sensible. I also work in an environment which is much more intervention heavy, uh, where some where patients potentially have waited a long time specifically for an intervention or a technique. And they come from a number of different referral routes. And you have 20 minutes to thrash that out and try and ensure that that patient is also on the same page as you are when they leave which is difficult i think the first thing is is that you know a, a, a number i think of, of requests for if we can talk more 
broadly about injection therapy, a number of requests that come through for injection therapy are on the premise that somebody has persistent symptoms that have not responded to previous treatment. Mm -hmm. And we know that access to care and access to different treatments is hugely variable and people's work up to that point is, is also incredibly variable depending on who they've seen. And we also know that patients with persistent symptoms is, is due to a number of reasons. And as we've you know, quite rightly discussed earlier, it's not just all due to structure. Yeah, we're aware, increasingly aware, aren't we, of the, the psychological components to patients' presentations and the different behavioural impacts of, of, of various bits and pieces. And I think increasingly we're aware of, of, of the role of, of mental health and things in, in, in patients' musculoskeletal presentations. And so all of those different things make a difference as to why someone has persistent pain. Now, how you actually handle that situation if somebody comes in, you don't think they need an injection, it's really difficult. I think sometimes I often refer to the fact that injection therapy is, is one part of a selection of possible options for trying to help something. And this then links into shared decision-making, informed consent, all of those different aspects. But often, fortunately for me, not that I necessarily sell other treatment techniques necessarily well, um, is, that, is that maybe that discussion hasn't taken place. Um, and, and you sort of say to patients, well, you, know, you can only have x number of these perhaps into this region in full stop the effect is often potentially um temporary depending on what the condition is if it's a degenerative joint condition it may be that it's going to give you a certain period of relief and then it's going to maybe change and so you know one of the big things if you took an example of something like oa knee is is that injection therapy can play a role and it can be a fantastic option for some patients but for for other patients where maybe there's a lot of other very significant factors that need to be looked at, they need to be emphasized. Um, and you do that needs to be, needs to be done in a, concert, in a confident and assertive way, but in a balanced way to try and engage the patient, I think. Yeah. Um, I can imagine but, you know, in a very sensitive way as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm acutely aware of time and, and I could speak to you for ages on this, but I, I was going to kind of carry on. I'm not going out tonight now. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to start to gently uh, round this conversation off with uh, where where do you see this going in the future? Um, what what do you what's your thoughts around that? Yeah, I think there's I think there's some positives. I think there's some risks as well. Um, I'm pretty balanced with how I view these things. I think look, the, the big first big thing is technology is amazing and how it's developing. And I always look at ultrasound machines in a similar way you know when when you and i were uh were, were heading off to the local pub on a, on a friday afternoon to have a lemonade um <laughs> with our nokia phones yeah at the time um you know look take your nokia phone now think about how it's you know your smartphone that does pretty much everything more than the computer does ultrasound has the potential to do to do similar and you can see how um, you know, it's transitioned from big cart-based machines, the tractor that I talked about earlier on, to then go to laptops, and laptops were amazing. They're on wheels, so they can go everywhere, which is great for point-of-care stuff. And now you've got wireless probes um, that hook up to a tablet that deliver probably as good a res an image resolution as a laptop system 10 years ago. So it won't be long until your, uh, your, your, your wireless probe that is incredibly portable and fits into your back pocket and you can already see this with an acute medicine. This is starting to impact care um, alongside stethoscopes, essentially, and that kind of stuff will dramatically change practice. So it, it means that it's more accessible. And 
that at the same time as being exciting for practice can pose a risk because it needs to be used appropriately. Um, you need to have an educational framework alongside it um, to ensure that its use is safe for patients. Um, so there's that side of it. There's, other, there's the other side of it that with appropriate use, I think it can really advance what we do within the profession um, from a musculoskeletal perspective. And that's not to say what we do now isn't, isn't good enough. I just think that um, things change over time. And I think it can potentially enhance what we can offer. And it's not a standalone thing that is a, is a uh, you know, magic dust that you drop over a clinic. Uh, it's something that you you fit in alongside your other special tests as part of your clinical reasoning approach and as part of your clinical assessment of somebody. Um, but it gives you a bit more information. Um, so I think there's a lot of excitement things, exciting things about it. But I think also there's some things that um, we need to be mindful of as well. Mm-hmm. And, and what's your thoughts kind of briefly around uh, the risk of over-medicalisation or medicalisation uh, and the navigation around that? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that's a, again another, that's, that's another risk, isn't it? And I guess that's what I'm kind of alluding to when I talk about access to systems. Potentially, there is a risk of overmedicalization for those points we mentioned earlier. You know, we know that structural change occurs quite normally; mm. it doesn't necessarily link to symptoms. So, without an appropriate educational framework, without an appropriate um clinical experience and clinical context around it and communities of practice and 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 discussions and and people being aware of things then there is a risk of of potential over medicalization and essentially what you're then doing is taking um, more isolated imaging and putting it into a different location and carrying on with isolated imaging and and it's it's about trying to change that balance i think and you know as i said you know, innovate and do something different um, with imaging um yeah brilliant well with that said um just want to really want to thank you Stuart for your time um, you know you have certainly been instrumental in the development and um I guess the the high quality um and care and attention of this particular topic area to the profession and beyond so thank you so much from not just myself and the MACP but for the profession and um with that i shall draw this to a close thank you Stuart. thanks matt it's been a, a real pleasure and um i look forward to supporting the MSCP with with this topic and all their work in the future great thanks, thanks mate. Stuart.